I challenge anybody, you know, once you come down here for 30 days, take your credit card away, no phone, and live with me. Most people couldn't handle it. It'd drive you crazy. That's the voice of Timothy, one of Seattle's growing number of unsheltered residents. I'm Jeff Shulman, a professor at the University of Washington's Foster School of Business, and today's episode of Seattle Growth Podcast brings you the most candid interview yet about life on the streets. Timothy opens up about how he found himself homeless, why he chooses to live in Seattle, and what life is like on the streets. He gives a surprising answer to how society is failing the homeless and makes a simple request of you, the listener. You will not want to miss this interview. Today's episode of Seattle Growth Podcast also features an in-depth interview with Seattle City Council Member Mike O'Brien. He shares where he believes the city can improve and how it deals with its residents living in vehicles. Councilmember O'Brien also discusses what it was like to be at the center of the infamous Ballard Town Hall, which MyBallard.com reported as turning into an angry shoutfest. This episode continues a season-long look at one of Seattle's most pressing challenges, homelessness. Homelessness is affecting Seattle's residents, businesses, and visitors. This season of Seattle Growth Podcast is bringing diverse perspectives together on the issue. Previously on Seattle Growth Podcast, you heard from Seattle City Council Member Teresa Mosqueda. The time for us to unite as a city is now. The issues that have been in front of this council in the short time that I've been here um, are, are the crisis of our society, not just in Seattle, but nationally. Every large city is dealing with the crisis of homelessness and housing. And you heard from University of Washington professor and noted author Josephine Ensign. What I am seeing hope through the young people, both our students who are trying to figure out like new solutions that are compassionate, but also, you know, not bleeding heart, kind of just whatever goes is okay. Um, as well as, as young people experiencing homelessness of wanting to have um, a, better, a better life and a, and a better city for all of us to live in. And throughout the season, you've heard from several individuals who have found themselves homeless, such as Walter Hudson. I feel displaced more and more and more marginalized because I realize certain, certain uh, elements of society are much more successful than others, and others don't really have the capacity or potential for that kind of success. Now, before we get to a remarkably candid interview with Timothy, who I met selling real change downtown, I am pleased to announce that you can now view a trailer for my upcoming feature-length documentary film, On the Brink. I've teamed up with talented filmmaker Stephen Fong to share a story of a once-vibrant community on the brink of vanishing from Seattle and their struggle to hold on to a place to call home in light of this city's rapid change. Visit the movie's Facebook page at facebook.com slash onthebrinkfilm. That's facebook.com slash onthebrinkfilm. Now, join me as I sit down with Seattle City Council Member Mike O'Brien. I am here again at City Hall with City Council Member and Foster School of Business alumni Mike O'Brien. Mike, thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Great to be here. Uh, so it's great to have you back for a second time on Seattle Growth Podcast. Why don't you tell people a little bit about what you've been working on in those two years? Well, since we last chatted, the crisis around homelessness has continued to evolve um, and evolve in a way that's been uh, increasingly challenging for all of us. Um, we're seeing more and more people experiencing homelessness. 
Uh, well, the economy continues to boom. We got still, you know, record number of tower cranes in the city of Seattle, uh, creating a lot of wealth in the city. We're also creating a lot of poverty. And um, there's some structural things that, uh, in my mind, are wrong with our economy. There's some other big systemic problems we're facing uh, in our country right now that I think are leading to this. But the result is that people are seeing a lot more people experiencing homelessness and more people are experiencing homelessness. And it has an impact on the people living outdoors. It has an impact on the people living in houses next to them or trying to run a business next to them. And it's, it's hard. It's really hard on a lot of folks. What I'm here to talk to you about today are the residents who are living in their cars, so vehicular residents, whether it's cars, trucks, or RVs. What's going on in Seattle with our vehicular residents? You know, that is the largest group of people that are classified as unsheltered when we do our counts. And what we've seen in the past number of years is every year the number of people living in vehicles goes up, and it becomes a higher and higher percentage of the people that are living unhoused. Um, over 40% of the folks in our community now that are unhoused are living in vehicles. And um, well, last year's one-night count, or January's one-night count, showed a pretty modest uptick in the number of people that are living outdoors, um, which we'll take as a win in a relative sense. The number of folks that are living in vehicles had a significant uptick. I don't know exactly why. Like, I haven't seen a lot of research, but certainly anecdotally when you talk to folks, there are a lot of people that, that are um, just struggling. They have a car. They can't afford to pay the rent anymore, so they're moving into their vehicle for a little while. Uh, they don't think of themselves as homeless necessary. They're just kind of between housing at the moment and are waiting for the next thing to go. And um, and then you see people that have been living in vehicles for a number of years. And, you know, you hope that these new folks entering that are going to um, get turned around and find some housing really quickly. But housing is tough in this market for folks that are fully employed and have good records, let alone folks that have any challenge or blemish on that record. What are some of the gaps in how the city and or the community as a whole is addressing the needs of vehicular residents as you see it? I mean, one of the gaps is just the big gap that we don't have enough housing that's affordable to folks at these income levels. Um, and when I say these income levels, it includes people you know, earning minimum wage or slightly above that that simply can't afford housing. Um, so we need more housing, and we need more housing that's uh, affordable to people at a range of wages, um, which is almost certainly going to require significant amounts of subsidies to make that housing exist. Our market is just not taking care of that in the way that I was taught in my economics classes that the market should respond. So there's some sort of market failure happening there. Um, the, the other thing that I um, am frustrated with, and I think the city needs to do a better job, and I, I hope this mayor will come out with a plan. The last mayor struggled with this and, and never really resolved it, is we need an actual program for how we address people in vehicles, living in vehicles. So what I mean by this is um, what I would like to see is the city has a vehicular residency program. We have a staff of folks, uh, outreach folks, that are engaging with people living in vehicles. Uh, they're responding to uh, calls we get from neighbors or residents or people living in vehicles to go out and talk to folks, understand their situation, enroll them in a program. Um, what would that program be? Well, it would be a commitment from the resident to work towards getting back into housing. Uh, you know, if it's like I need $5,000 to make my first and last month's rent and security deposit and all those things, you know, that may take a while. If it's getting on a list to a wait list to get into subsidized housing, that also may take a while. But at least we know, like, they're working towards that. And the city, the program should be designed in a way that 
how do we help you stabilize right now? Uh, make sure they have access to things that they need. So you need to go to the bathroom. Is you, are you living in a vehicle that has bathroom facilities? Where do you dump it out? Are you living in a, you know, a, a, your Toyota Corolla, which doesn't have bathroom facilities? Where are you using the bathroom? Let's make sure you have access to a sanitary place to go to the bathroom. Um, make sure you have access to, you know, gas and charging for your phone and all the things you need. Um, are you working? Do you have a job? If not, what can we do to get you on the list to, to try to find a job? So all those steps that someone says, yes, I'm living in my vehicle today, but I'm working to get back into a stable situation. Um, and then maybe there's a sticker that goes on the door that identifies them. Maybe there's a number. I'm not exactly sure how that program would work. For some people, it might be like, hey, you know what? This is not a good place for you to be parked right now, but we got a lot for you to go to. Or we got a neighborhood that we think will be a better fit for you. Or we got a place where you can park at night, but not during the day. But since you're working during the day and you use your car for that, that should be fine. You know, that type of system that's in place. There are some people we hear, we hear um, I think it's a small percentage of people that are living outdoors, but they get a lot of attention in the media, the ones who, um, you know, will proudly state that they uh, have the right to camp wherever they want, they don't have to do anything, they don't have to participate in anything. And if we had a program, we could identify folks and say, hey, you're not participating in this program, you're not playing by the set of rules, and if you're not going to do that, we're going to be really strict on enforcing all the sets of laws we have. Um, and, and either encourage them to say, look, get on with the program, or get on to somewhere else, but we're not going to support that type of behavior. But for the vast majority of folks who just want to be housed, we can have them in the program, we can identify them, be working with them, maybe even partner with community organizations and members who say, hey, I want to help these people out too. Um, I hear often from folks, what can I do to help? You know, I, Can I help them find a job? Can I give them some work around my house? Um, often these folks do have jobs, they just can't afford housing. Maybe you can uh, put in a mother-in-law unit in your basement or build a backyard cottage, or maybe you're a landlord and you got a few units you could rent out to them. You know, we need to come together as a community to solve it, but it starts with having a program, and right now the city really has no program around vehicular residency, and I've been calling on the last few mayors to do this, and I hope this mayor can step up soon. And in 2017, uh, you were supporting a, a legislation that would change the way that RVs were ticketed or that uh, people living in vehicles were, were being ticketed. Can you tell me a little bit about what you were trying to accomplish and how that whole controversy unfolded, how, that, how yeah. you reacted to that and all? Absolutely. So um, the concept is really relatively simple, and it goes back to having a program. But it's, if, someone is, um, if someone has lost their housing because they couldn't afford the rent anymore, Maybe they're working part-time or full-time but just can't afford to live in a housing situation. Or maybe they have a, an eviction on their record or something that makes it really hard for them to get into housing right now. So they're living in their vehicle, but they're, they're doing all the things that, that we would expect of them to do to try to get back on their feet. But maybe their RV doesn't work, or maybe they're out of gas, or maybe the battery's dead, or maybe the alternator's not working, and they don't have the money to fix that right now. And they've been parked for more than 72 hours in a spot. So the law says, you know, we can ticket that. And, um, and we get so many tickets, we can boot them and then tow them. Well, towing someone who's trying to get back into housing and, um, you know, taking the limited resources they have and putting them into parking tickets or impound fees, um, maybe taking away the place they're living. So now they're living outdoors. Maybe they can't go to work anymore because when we towed their vehicle, the tools they needed to go to work were in the vehicle. I mean, all those things make us all worse off. They certainly make that individual worse off. And it doesn't help society's problem when someone's trying to get back. 
in, in the position. So the city already does a pretty good job of our parking enforcement police officers, outreach workers, using their discretion to try to figure out who um, who is trying their best to abide by the laws and not just be the strictest person in the world in a kind of mean-spirited way. I have frustration from business owners and neighbors who will see that, you know, the, the small percentage of folks who maybe are flaunting the laws and they say, hey, it's not fair. I have to... I have to abide by parking laws. How come, you know, that guy across the street doesn't? And so that's why I think we need a program. What I had proposed in, well, I didn't actually even get to the place of proposing the legislation, but we were discussing draft legislation and um, a guy running for uh, city attorney uh, somehow got a hold of it and leaked it to the press. But um, the idea was like trying to formalize that and give our police officers and our parking officers some clear direction on how this should go. And again, the idea would be like, look, if someone's in a program and, you know, we can define what that looks like, but a willingness to say we're trying to do all the things right and we're not going to, you know, I'm not going to go to the bathroom on the neighbor's yard. I'm not going to pile up trash on the sidewalk. You know, I'm going to do all the things you expect, but we have to say, here's a place to put your trash. Here's a place to go to the bathroom. If they're in a program like that, give the parking enforcement and police discretion to say, hey, you know, let's get them into a place, the vehicle into a shape where it can move or get them in a place where they don't have to move, whatever it is, but let's just not make the problem worse. And at the same time, for folks that don't want to play by our rules, yeah, we'll strictly enforce that because that seems fair. Um, That legislation became very controversial. Of course, the talking point was like, no one has to, you know, if you're poor, you don't have to abide by the parking laws. That, of course, was not the intention. But um, those talking points are sometimes hard to overcome in the in the media, but we continue to work behind the scenes, and really, for the most part, the city does a pretty good job of not, um, you know, not putting people that are in a tough position in an even worse position. And then there are those that raise concerns with these um, kind of relaxation of, of restrictions on vehicle residents, vehicular residents, that we're essentially privatizing public land, that, uh, you know, we've got a parking space that rotates to different people, or you've got a park space, and then if somebody squats on it, they've privatized public land. How do you respond to those kind of concerns? Yeah, I mean... It's a decision we have to make as a community or society. What do we do? What do we do with people who simply cannot afford to pay for housing? Um, you know, we have thousands of people on housing wait lists. I mean, we, you know, to be clear, you know, we have subsidized housing. So that's public resources. It's privatized for the individual that's living it. That's just kind of what we do. And, you know, if you um, own vehicles, depending on where you are and what neighborhood, you can park there and you use the private land and you're supposed to move it 72 hours, but most people leave their car there for the whole week and nothing happens and it's not a big deal. Um, So, you know, the idea that like, how dare we do this for poor people? We do this for folks all the time. And the question is, what do we want to be as a society? And so, yeah, we have parking rules. And um, in an ideal world, folks would have the resources to live in housing. And if they wanted to have an RV in addition to having housing, they would have to be up to them to find a place to store it. But that's not what's going on here. You know, these aren't people that chose to give up their housing because that would be fun to live in the back of their pickup truck for a few years. These are folks that don't have any better alternatives. And I think as a community, we have to figure out what we want to do with that. And... um, you know, we have to address affordable housing. We have to address our health care system, especially our mental health care system. We have to make sure that, you know, we have an economy that says, yeah, we need people that clean buildings in the evening. We need people that 
um, empty the trash. We need people that provide security overnight. We need people that serve coffee and serve drinks in restaurants. And for the most part, the wages that all those classes of individuals make aren't enough to afford to live in our city. But we need them in our city to do the work that our city requires to survive. That's broken. So does that mean we're all just going to subsidize those folks? Does that mean we pay more wages so they can afford housing? You know, I'm open to a variety of options there. But, but kicking all those people out of our city would be devastating because we need them to be doing the work. And so let's go to that. Uh, you know, your vehicular program would cost money. Um, affordable housing, subsidized housing costs money. Where does that come from? And how do you avoid paying for that? on the backs of people who then might find themselves homeless or in those situations because of the extra burden? Great, great question. Um, you know, when I started this job in 2010, we were just kind of coming out of the Great Recession. And there were a lot of people that were homeless. There were a lot of people living in vehicles. The numbers were already on the increase there for people living in vehicles. And it was, a you know, I started working on this problem back then. And at the time, it felt like that's just what you do in a recession. You know, recessions hit. They're not fair. They don't hit people equally. The, the lowest income people often are devastated by them. They end up on the street. So we, you know, we're making budget cuts at the city. At the same time, we have more people going to food banks, more people going to shelters. It's just, you know, for me that, you know, it's not fair, but it's what I expected, right? That's just what happens when the economy's in a downturn. And so you kind of do your best to manage it. And then a couple years later, the economy starts rebounding. Um, you know, Seattle's creating massive amounts of wealth right now. Um, and yet I have more and more people that are in poverty. Something is fundamentally wrong with our system. And, you know, it's one thing in a recession to say, you know, look, it's really hard right now. I simply can't afford to provide the services that we need. And we're all just going to have to figure this out. And now I look at it as like, well, no, we're creating massive amounts of wealth. We should be able to afford for everyone to have housing and a safe place to live and decent education for their kids and all that stuff. And yet we can't. Our, our system is broken in a way that, um, you know, we are productive and chugging along. And, you know, um, some people are doing really well and some people are doing really poorly. And it's not, you know, from my mind, it's not because the people that are doing poorly just aren't trying or don't care to people that are struggling with a system that's not fair to them. And so um, how do we fix that tax system? <laughs> how do we fix our economic system? Those are big fundamental questions that I think as a society we have to grapple with. Do we want to be a, a, a country um, that has this massive disparities in, in income? You know, we're looking more and more like, uh, you know, dictatorships in the developing world when you look at the, the concentration of wealth in the hands of a few and massive amounts of poverty. And I, you know, those were, when I was growing up, those are the examples of things that we didn't want to be and America's not. And now it seems to be we're replicating that. So as a community, we have to fix that, I believe. And that's, but that's hard. That has to do with federal tax system. Um, that has to do with a lot of things, you know, our criminal justice system that are, that are often beyond the control of a city council decision. Um, and so at the same time, we're figuring like, well, I need to fund more housing. I need to fund more shelter beds. I need to fund, you know, the outreach workers to engage with folks to make sure they know how to get into these shelters and, and beds. And I look around to who to tax, and you're right. It's like taxing, you know, a, a senior on fixed income who may own a house that may be worth something, but they don't have enough income to pay their taxes, their property taxes. That doesn't feel right. You know, if they're on the verge of losing their housing, that's not good. Um, and so we looked at, uh, you know, I'm talking about the head tax or employee hours tax. 
We looked at taxing the largest corporations that seem to be doing well. It's not a perfect tax. There's all sorts of problems with it. But in the city of Seattle, we only have a few taxes we can implement. Um, uh, in fact, the, the couple that we could do without a voter, we could raise the utility taxes or the employee hours tax. Um, or we can go to the vote of the people and, and raise a, a, a different business tax, our gross receipts tax, or we can go to vote of the people and raise our property taxes. I mean, those are the really the options we have as a city if we want additional revenue. And so um, we tried. Uh, we picked the one that, that I felt was going to be the fairest. And um, unfortunately, there was a powerful backlash. Obviously, the big companies that were going to pay it didn't like it. And we knew they wouldn't like it. And they knew we knew they didn't like it. And that was one thing. That was, you know, we could bear that. But what we heard in the last few months was a lot of people that aren't the big companies didn't think that it was fair, that didn't think it was an appropriate way to tax. Um, they were worried that it may damage their ability to, you know, work in this community or something. Um, and while I, I disagree on the policy, I think it's a good policy. What I can't disagree with is the people in our community said, we don't like it. And so we heard that loud and clear, and we stepped back and repealed it. But we don't have a plan right now in place, and we need to come up with a plan because the problem isn't going away. It's, it's still getting worse. So speaking of hearing from the community, uh, you have been a fairly controversial figure in yeah, Seattle. I have. And <laughs> you held this town hall in April. and May 2nd. May 2nd. Sorry, <laughs> it was announced in April. So you held this town hall May 2nd. You don't, don't forget the date. Um, how does it feel to have some of this anger and some of the comments directed towards you? Uh, what's your emotional reaction to what you're hearing on the negative side? Personally, it's pretty hard, obviously. I mean, it's, it's, I don't think it's fun for anyone to stand in front of a room of hundreds of people and have, you know, half of them screaming obscenities to you and telling you to shut up and sit down. We don't want to hear from you. Um, and at the same time, you know, I got into politics because I care about our community and I thought that I have some good ideas and want to fight for change. And I, you know, I know the reputation that things can get ugly in politics. Now, my first, uh, you know, seven or so years in politics, th things were pretty civil. But what we've seen in the last year or so is um, the frustration is continuing to grow. Um, and uh, what happened at that town hall meeting, I remember the date both because of the town hall and that was also the day that Amazon told the public that we were going to slow down our growth in Seattle because of the hours tax. So there's a couple things coming together on that very day. And there was, you know, an eruption of sort, uh, you know, can view that as an opportunity to let off some steam and release some pressure maybe, um, or maybe a turning point. I don't know. Um, but it's hard. Um, and my job as an elected official is to represent the people that, that uh, elect me, uh, including the people that didn't vote for me. Um, and it's important for me to be out there hearing from them what they're feeling and what they're thinking. And um, it works best when I'm sitting down with kind of calm, rational voices discussing what policy options do we have in front of us and what can we do and how should we move this forward and what are the trade-offs and I'm going to make a decision and not everyone's going to like it, but it's the best we can do. But some days you, you don't get that. Some days you get people are just pissed or they're frustrated or they're scared or they're nervous or they're terrified or they're hurting or whatever it is and you get to hear the raw emotions and um, the raw emotions often don't translate into a policy decision that I get to bring back to City Hall and change a law and fix it. But they're still real. I mean, I have those emotions too. And, um, 
And so as hard as it is for me to hear it, as, as hard as it is personally for me to hear it, I got to do my best to compartmentalize that and try to understand what people are feeling and what they're going through. And sometimes it's like, okay, we're going to, we're going to do this and I'm, I'm, I'm probably not going to learn a ton today, but let's just get through it. And then let's sit down again in a week and let's talk some more. And, um, you know, it's amazing how many times I'm in a room with people that are really mad and they vent and they vent and they vent and, and I listen and if they say something that I think is wrong, I'll correct it or challenge something that I think is inappropriate um, or that I just disagree with. Um, and sometimes by the end of an hour and a half or two hours, folks, are, we're all pretty tired and it's like, what do we do now? And it's like, well, that's a good question. Let's talk about what our options are. Um, or like, you know what? Let's not talk about that today. Let's take a break and let's think about this. I'll, you know, we'll, we'll share some reading material with each other and let's get back together in a couple weeks and talk about what some possible solutions are. And then you talk about, like, you know what? I don't think this is fair. This should change. Like, I agree with you on that. Now, that's a state law. That's a federal law. And I can't change that by myself. You know, here's what we could do. But we could bring in our, you know, our U.S. representative or our state senator or whatever it is. We could talk about them, to them about it. But, you know, and you can have those conversations. And sometimes you just, you need to work through the, the hard stuff. Councilmember O'Brien, thank you for joining me today. I appreciate your time and yet again hearing your perspective. Thanks, Jeff. Glad to be on the program. In my next interview, Timothy opens up about life on the streets and how he found himself homeless. But before we turn to that interview, I'm excited to share more information about my new film, On the Brink. The feature-length documentary shares an important part of Seattle's history in a story of hope and determination. It has a soundtrack featuring amazing Seattle artists such as Cola and Robbie Hill's Family Affair. View the trailer on Facebook.com slash OnTheBrinkFilm and spread the word. Now, join me in one of the most candid interviews you will ever hear about life being homeless. I'm here with Timothy downtown. Uh, Timothy, thank you for joining me today. Good to be here. So you're out here selling real change. Tell me, what brings you out here? I moved up here to Seattle and uh, I had someone steal my identity. So it took me like almost a, almost a... 11 months now to get my paperwork back to get my state out of here, which I did. I had to go back to Texas to get the paperwork I needed. And since I didn't want to live in Texas, I just brought it all back and got my identity back here. Um, so I'm here to start a new life. How, how'd you choose Seattle? During my homelessness, uh, I was kicked out of Vegas and I chose Seattle. Had a friend to call up here. I uh, ended up going through DESC, getting my high school diploma and uh, getting hooked up with some college and stuff. And, and uh, my dad, Health went bad, so I went back to Texas to help with that, and he passed away. So I come back to Seattle, where I really want to be. I love it up here. It's so it's just beautiful. The people are great, and uh, just uh, it's home. It calls me, so I'm here. How did you first find yourself homeless? I missed two paychecks. I was in a bad relationship, and I was uh, I was into alcohol really bad back then. I had an, a drinking problem. Uh, I went to rehab for that. Um, I go to meetings over that uh, at. At a recovery cafe, I just went to rehab for uh, methamphetamines. I've been clean now for what I think it's 187 days. So, congratulations! Yeah. Before we started the interview, you were telling me that you served in yes, the military. Yes, I did. I was in the U.S. Army during '89, '90. Got out after that. I was manager of restaurants, uh, district manager of the Waffle House. Uh, I went to college, uh, studied to play chess. I wanted to be professional, which I'm going to do that again. Um, be international with it. I'm really good at chess. I, I want to start 
playing every day while I'm selling real change. I, this, this month I'm buying boards to do that. So people can come by and play me chess while I'm, so I can practice while I'm actually working. So if there's any masters out there here in Seattle, come by and play me here at the Labor Temple. This is where I'll be. I had a, a, a A-class rating at one point, president of the chess club, so in college and what have you. So I'm decent. I'm not a master yet, but maybe they can help train me. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about your time in the service and how that Im- impacted your course in life. Well, I learned something when I was in uh, the military, basic training, U.S. Army, called good, better, best, never let it rest till your good is better and your better is best. So uh, I'm doing good now. Um, I've changed my life. That's what real change is about. They've helped me. They helped me get my identity back. Um, the lady there at Advocacy, uh, Tiffany McGee. There's a lot of great people. Tell me about how being homeless has affected your health. I had four crushed discs in my back, and because I've always had to carry, and I have a 10-pound weight limit, which I keep it at that. But because of of the injury, it's 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 a progressive injury, deteriorating disc. It's it's progressively made it worse. Which so I got my disability. I'm waiting on housing right now, and because I got my identity back, now I'm getting the HUD vast rapid. It's just, I'm waiting for everything to go through right now. So this helps keep me uh, in a shelter every night uh, off the streets. And Tell me about finding shelter in Seattle. What's the process? How did you do it? Um, DESC downtown will take anybody. You just got to show up. I don't, they don't ask for any identification, I believe. Um, you can always get in there, but... I found it to be cleaner on the streets, actually, is a problem with me. Um, I know that sounds really bad, but it's dirty. And something that I don't like, so I, I stay out of it. I'd rather come out and feed myself and try to do something than be in, in the system. I don't want to do that anymore. I want to go back to school, you know, pursue other things. So it's, it, that's how it's helped me. It's helped, helped me grow, even though it's been a bad thing, you know. So I'm sorry, you said that the streets are cleaner than the shelters? Yeah, uh, as far as you should go in there and look sometime. Go in there and look at the bathrooms. And, and it's, you don't even want to use it. I mean, it's, it's, it's dirty. I mean, I'd rather go to Starbucks and use the restroom. That sounds bad, but it's true. <laughs> so tell me about your day and night. Like, how, how do you survive and what, what do you do? Like, uh, tell me about your day. Well, right now, I, it's, I, I get up uh, in the morning at Faith City, or Faith Better Life Mission, sorry, um, and um, go to Real Change, get a cup of coffee, uh, get me some breakfast, come down here and sell. And then uh, at night, uh, there's a curfew that you have to be back in over there. And then um, I just, you know, during the week, I do that. and. On the, on the weekends, I, I rent a motel room. Treat. Because <laughs> what I get, you know, my disability, while I'm, while I'm fighting for my VA pension or my VA benefits and all that, I, I finally got my SSDI. So, But it's, you know, it's so small that by the end of the month, I don't have any money. That's why I'm out here by the third week selling real change. The amount that we get is... And what's SSDI? Yes, it's, it's called Social, Social Security Disability Income. It's $10,000 a year, man. I mean, if you do the... Okay, what, what is the cost of living here in Seattle if you're getting a, an apartment? You can probably find one for 775 for a studio. That's my whole 
So that's what I'm doing now that I got my identity back. I get to get my own apartment, even though while I'm waiting on my benefits to come through. But because I, you know, I'm, I'm done with the streets. It's it's my house is to the point now where I can't do it anymore. So, and I'll be 50 this next year. So <laughs> it's time to grow up. <laughs> so, were you living on the streets by choice at some point? Yeah, but um, because of how should I say that? Um, in my family, my family's real religious, and because I don't choose to be in that religion anymore. I'm kind of the black sheep, but I used to be a Pentecostal preacher. Nothing against everybody can have their own beliefs. I'm not saying that people, my family's bad. I'm not even saying that. What I'm saying is you should have your own religion. Is that just wow. the backfire of the motorcycle? Or? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people in Seattle look at, you know, homelessness and the people living on the street and say our society is failing in some way. I wouldn't say society is failing. That's, I don't think that's the issue. Um, from a homeless perspective, being um, coming out of uh, being on the homeless, uh, my addiction got me there. My bad choices got me there. Some people in their life have to go through that to, to, to understand. I mean, I did. I mean, I'm really hard-headed. So my bad choices usually put me there. You know, my drinking, I was a functioning alcoholic. I was driving my car as a district manager, drunk every day, going to the bank. I don't want to do that anymore now that I'm rebuilding my life this time. I'm being honest about it. And so anyway, and I, 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 I see that most people in Seattle are that way. There, there is a segment of the homeless people that are here to feed on it. But that's everywhere. So, you know, that's going to be, I don't think there's any perfect society that's ever been created. I don't think our society's failing. I think people not voicing their opinion, maybe, you know, that might be, I don't know, with the, with the new technology and everything, we're going through so many changes in society. It's not only in our country, but it's a global net. So, I, I, I don't know, we're in the beginning of a new but I think our country is going to survive it. And if you could get a message out to the people who uh, live in this city and work in this city, what would you like to tell the people listening to this podcast? Uh, the Emerald City is the best city in the world, in my opinion. I mean, definitely in the United States. Uh, I came here and it changed my life. It was intermittent because of things that happened in my life, my dad's bad health and what have you. Going back to help with my brother, he's got handicap. He's Down syndrome. So, but anyway, being back in Seattle, hey, I love it. <laughs> it's it's a great place, and, and, and I, you know, with with what's going on with the real change right now, they got an article in there about the modular housing going on. It's sixty five percent more efficient to put modular housing up for the homeless. It's already at cold. Get them off the street because, uh, and it affects the tourism because they see, they see this segment. If we want to build more tourism in our city and make it more modern, then, then we're going to have to modernize the, the homeless system that we do have in place. And I, I don't know, maybe, maybe our city council needs somebody, I'm not saying anybody in particular, that's been homeless, that can see it from the inside out, help these these committees get get going down the right paths to make everything uh, in a bu bureaucracy function together. It's 
it's an organization, so we got to figure out how to reorganize it. We're in a reorganizing phase with the city front, I mean, the waterfront, everything that's going on, I mean, even here. So I think the opportunity is great. It's, it's, it's really great here in Seattle. So You are now dedicated to lifting yourself up out of homelessness. And what is missing in the city? What do you think either individuals in the city or the government in the city or nonprofits in the city, what do you think, what would you like to see them do to help people like you, Timothy, lift yourself out of homelessness when you're ready to do that? Be more organized in their efforts together. Everything is so intermittent. Between the organizations, there's no, there's no, um, how would you say that? There's, they're not organized together. If we could put everything together, you know, pull the money together and do it in an organized fashion. Uh, I think more could be done that way. There's a recent effort to employ, you know, you see these buildings, a lot of them are housing tech workers. Right. And there's an effort now to bring tech workers into building apps and, and technology that might be able to help the homelessness uh, crisis. What do you think of that effort? Uh, anything that, that, that uh, can be available for a person that's, in that position is needed. Now it's up to them as an individual. I think a lot of people in that place are not ready for the responsibility, believe it or not. That's why they got a bottle of alcohol in their hand. That's why they got drugs in their arm. That's why I was there. That's why I smoked crack. I don't do any of those things anymore because I'm making a real change in my life. I think that's where it all starts. So how do you do that? I think it comes back to families Again, you know, getting back as in family units, if you teach that to the children, I mean, maybe we've gotten away from that a little bit. With the Internet, we spend more time on the Internet watching TV. What is it, eight hours a day now? That's crazy. We used to spend all that time, you know, uh, being social and being weaving together. That's the cloth of society, you know, or, or as I used to say, I'm a man of the cloth. That's how you weave. You have a fellowship of people in your congregation. That's how you weave, you know, whatever religion is. As a man of cloth, I was. I was a Pentecostal pastor, so I can. That's how you do it. You, you know, it's, it's togetherness. Is there anything that you would like a listener to know about your life on the streets and and what you're going through? There are people out here on the, not not all people in the homeless. You know, missing two paychecks could probably put most people here. I don't know how we're going to fix that. That's. Like I said, going back together, this, you know, random act of kindness, you know, pay it forward. Some people don't like to go into the missions and stuff because of the uncleanness. It's not clean. Sorry. The food, the, the donations that they get, most of them are, are, are going out of date anyway. And, and you're representing, do you think Jesus, I'm sorry, we're kids of the king, right? He'd serve his children something better than that. I mean, I don't know. But anyway, it's, it's, it's you know. I, th I think we're coming together. It's just, it's going to take time. You know, one of the things that's controversial is, you know, where there's tents or items in public places, whether it's parks or sidewalks, uh, the city has a quandary of what to do with that. And one thing that's happening is that they'll clean it up. Have you ever been affected by the efforts of the city? Um, yes, I have. I was uh, living over off Post Alley and um, uh, they showed up. I'd been there with uh, another couple that I'd let them have my other tent. Um, we sit there to camp together because we camp in packs on the street. It's safer that way. And um, 
So the lady come by, the sergeant there, and she said, "You, you got I believe it was an hour, not thirty minutes. Now that I remember, so it was an hour to uh, remove everything that, that was there on the corner, uh, on the sidewalk, and uh, I had to go try and find my my other uh, people that was uh, camping with me to help me move that stuff around because of my back condition. I'm legally disabled, and so." Um, I wasn't able to accomplish that, and uh, when I got back, uh, they had already uh, threw our stuff in, in, in truck uh, and taken it off to the dumpster or wherever they take it. How does it affect you when your stuff is removed from where you were? Um, I had to start all over. I lost all my clothes. My DD-214 was in that in that doc, other documentation because I was working on, on my identity problem. That's why I was on the street in the first place. Uh, here in the state of Washington, you got to have four proofs of identity plus residence to get, to get an ID, and uh, it was either that or go back to Texas. And so, um, um, eventually, that's what I did. Was I went back to Texas and, and, and got the things that I needed. Visited my my brother and um, took care of some. Uh, there were some family issues I had to take care of anyway. So, um, yeah, it really messed everything up. Um, them doing that to me. I mean, I had to start all over with getting my divorce papers and all that, you know, all the documentation that I did have. I had to reorder that. And so your, what it was it, what was your documentation in? Like a backpack? Or? Yeah, well, yeah, I keep all my personal belongings in a backpack. And um, they were working during the day, so I would stay and watch both tents, so they come at night. And when I was out working, selling real change or, um, if I had come across a, a you know, a, whatever I could do to support myself, um, we took turns at it to, to, you know, to watch our possessions, you know, because uh, there is a lot of stealing among homelessness, which is pathetic, but it happens. It's, it's rampant. Yeah. And so, in this city, we've got people who are concerned about what they perceive as trash or items in the public spaces, whether it's a sidewalk or a park, and then you've got you who've lost all. Uh, important papers what do you think the city should do to manage your needs and the needs of the people to have public spaces and, and clean areas um well i think that's a community discussion really we need to have a forum about it as a community um one thing that i i think our input uh you know for someone who is coming out of homelessness and, and their record shows like i can show you my record through desc i got my high school diploma through them uh back to seattle central college and because of my homelessness losing identity and all that i i, I can't i couldn't start back to school so everything was put on hold but um we should have some uh some input from the homeless uh i don't know if uh, you know share and other organizations that do support the homeless people maybe they should have some input i i worked with share before um you know there's other organizations i don't know what's up with nicholsville or, or any of these other things that were going on but uh there should be uh coming together as a community and we should figure it out together i mean that i think this was you know that gap between the two classes there that's going to have to be voluntary to fill that gap now I don't think our government can do it, and I don't think individuals, uh, people who, who, who donate can do that. It's going to have to be a joint effort. So. Okay. 
Yeah. Anything else you want to say about the sweeps? Help people understand what it's like to be on the other side of that. Well, could you imagine if I, you went to work and come back home and your house had been bulldozed? Uh, if you went to the bank and uh, your security deposit box had been seen, the wall had been cemented, you couldn't get your documents or your money out. Okay. I challenge anybody, you know, once you come down here for 30 days, take your credit card away, no phone, and live with me. Most people couldn't handle it. It'd drive you crazy, you know, just going from that one extreme to the other. And I think maybe, you know, people who are in these positions should come down, you know, part of their internship. Hey, be homeless for 30 days. You can really, you know, like, on a, let's make it a reality show like Pearl Jam was talking about. You know, there's there's hope in that, you know. You know, we could do that, you know. Uh, that would be really neat. It's nice to see all the, you know, the, the artists helping the homeless out. That meant a lot to me, Pearl Jam helping us out, you know, talking about that. I'm all for that. I'm an artist myself. I've I'm played drums for 39 years, so. These these guys, you know, uh, are giving back to the communities that I see, you know, and, and like Pearl Jam, that means a lot to us. It really does. So coming together, one class, mean. You know, uh, there's people, we're people, just because we're not all bad people. Getting out of that per personal comfort zone and maybe, you know, a random act of kindness is what we need. I do that every day. People give me food that I don't want. I'm, I'm vegan, strict vegetarian, almost vegan. I give that to people that I can't with. I make sure that the food goes to good, you know, things like that. So I, d I do give back. Any concluding thoughts? Um, keep your head up and... Uh, God bless everybody, man. Timothy, thank you very much for joining me today and sharing your perspective. I really appreciate it. All right. You have a great day. That is all for today's episode of Seattle Growth Podcast. Have an opinion to share on the issue of homelessness? Reach out to me on Twitter, at Prof Shulman. I'd love to hear your reaction. Please also take a moment to like the Facebook page for my feature-length documentary, On the Brink, at facebook.com slash onthebrinkfilm. Liking the Facebook page for On the Brink will make sure you are among the first to hear about the showings of my debut film. Next week on Seattle Growth Podcast, hear from noted activist Daishik Kim Hawkins Jr. There's a point where this, this world, this city is only so big. You know, what do we do when we reach a point where the, the class war gets too big? You know, and and that's, that's what I'm constantly thinking about. Hear about the challenges city park employees are facing with the homelessness crisis from the business manager for Local 1239, Ian Gordon. It takes all the energy, a part of the energy from the department as a whole. I mean, adds more work to the safety office. They need to be careful of what's going on out there and make sure they know about what it is. Uh, I hope you'll join me next week. In the meantime, I'm Jeff Schulman, and I thank you for joining me on this journey in the fifth season of Seattle Growth Podcast.